The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now, here is your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, hey, great stuff. Great to have you on board. It is the Business Locker Room, and I am your host, Kelly Riggs. The show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business. Let's start today. No need to wait. The kind of guests that we get on, the kind of content that we get into, the conversations that we enjoy. Always great content coming out of each and every one of these. Fantastic show last week, by the way, if you missed it. Make sure you jump on iTunes and take a look. Bill Cates joined me. He is the referral coach. Find him at referralcoach.com. And we talked about getting referrals, how you use them, and how powerful professionals just like you use them to drive their business. Bill was fantastic. I will look forward to having him on the show again. Coming up down the road, a number of great shows. Next week, John Ferrara with Nimble. In two weeks, Rob Waldo Waldman. You want to mark your calendars. That's going to be a killer show. Three weeks from today, Marissa Levin Levin will or Marissa Levin will join us. I always want to say Levin. Anyway, she'll be on with us and uh, we'll talk about the business locker room from the women's perspective. We're kind of kicking around the idea of the women's locker room. She's all over it. In fact, it was her idea having a segment more or less uh, position for women in business. I'm excited about doing that. Later in the show today, Miles Austin will join us as he always does the X's and O's segment. And today we're going to talk about, uh, well, we're going to take the mystery out of Google Analytics. You hear about it all the time. I don't know how many people are fluent in Google Analytics. I am not. So I'm excited to do that segment with Miles. He'll be along in the latter part of the show. So many things going on at one time. As we roll into the latter part of the year, sales meetings are happening, strategic planning going on, and those are the kinds of things that I get involved in in my practice quite a bit. So it is a crazy travel time of year. A lot of things uh, all come together as, as just a part of that is the holidays, but a lot of traveling going on. But today from our home studio here, the world headquarters of the business locker room, Tulsa, Oklahoma, home to uh, a number of people. In fact, uh, my guest uh, that will join us in just a few minutes, we were talking about David Burkus, whom he knows. David Burkus is uh, a professor at Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa. He's been a guest on the show, by the way. Fantastic interview. So, Uh, some of the things that we have in common. Hey, whether you're a sales rep, a manager, an executive, a business owner, an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what your interests are in business, sales, marketing, leadership, social media, business strategy, 
The Business Locker Room is the show for you. And where we bring on guests like our guest today, Michael Lee Stallard. He stops by the locker room today. We're going to talk about employee engagement and the new science of employee engagement as it relates to culture and connection. In fact, he's just released a brand new book called Connection Culture, The Competitive Advantage of Shared Identity, Empathy, and Understanding at Work. Also the author, by the way, of Fired Up or Burned Out. How to Reignite Your Team's Passion, Creativity, and Productivity. Michael is the president of E Pluribus Partners, and they provide insights about leadership, training, team building, communications, and executive coaching. They do a lot of different things. Michael, very, very well known, and I am excited to welcome him into the business locker room to talk about his topics of expertise. Michael, how are you? I am well, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic. Great to have you on board. And you've got a couple of great books out that we want to talk about a little bit. But tell me about E Pluribus Partners. Give me kind of a glimpse into what you guys do on a regular basis and how long you've been doing it. Sure. We uh, were started in 2002. I, it's really a second career for me. I spent most of my career on, um, initially in technology marketing and then migrated to Wall Street. I'm in, in the New York City area in Greenwich, Connecticut, just north of New York City. And uh, I worked on Wall Street, and I saw often how mergers didn't work. And it wasn't because there wasn't a rational plan in place, Kelly, to execute. The problem was, after the merger, the two merged parties didn't get along. And so there was a, a failure to connect and really execute the plan, and that sabotaged the plans we had going in. And uh, it also sabotaged what we were hoping to get out of the merger in terms of just economic, uh, you know, boost in economic value. And I became very interested in that topic, and it really came back to culture. You know, the attitudes, the language, the behaviors that people use and embrace, and how they differ from group to group, and how it affects performance. So I left in 2002. I partnered with um, a number of individuals, one who had been uh, taught research and statistics and psychology at Yale and Purdue University and had a lot of experience in organizational behavior and culture as well. Um, a woman, uh, Carolyn Dewing Homas, who had worked um, on culture issues at Citigroup for the CEO, and then Jason Pankaw, who is an executive and life coach and also a pastor in uh, Chicago. And he uh, really is an advisor, a coach, um, to a lot of individuals, some very high-profile hedge fund managers and CEOs. So we came from different perspectives, but we put our heads together, did about five years of research, and came out with our first book in 2007. And that was the book that you mentioned, Fired Up or Burned Out. So our work is focused on uh, a mix of uh, education and coaching. We do workshops and seminars on how to develop relationship excellence in uh, businesses. We work with the engineers at the NASA Johnson Space Center. Um, we've been in higher education and healthcare organizations, a real mix of organizations. We also do employee engagement and culture surveys. For example, we just did a survey for about 4,000 people in 16 different languages for Foot Cone Belding, the global advertising agency. So that's in a nutshell, that's what we do. Michael Lee Stallard is our guest, and you can find him at MichaelLeeStallard.com. Also, follow him on Twitter at Michael Stallard. Well, tremendous resume without any question, Michael. Great to have you on the show. It sounds to me like the famous adage from Peter Drucker when he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I suspect you're a fan of that particular quote. 
Well, they're both important. I wouldn't want to underestimate the importance of strategy, but just it's so often, Kelly, it's the it's the failure to have a healthy culture that sabotages one's ability to execute the strategy. So they really go hand in glove, and if you ignore either one of them, it will come back to bite you. It's yeah, no, no doubt. Sustainable performance um, at a high level, unless you really pay attention to both. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Oftentimes in doing strategic planning, that's what you have to say is, Mr. Drucker was not saying you don't need strategy. He's just saying you can have the best strategy on the planet, but if you don't have the culture to execute it clearly, you're going to have your share of issues. When you when you do employee engagement surveys, obviously the ideal there is to determine the temperature of, of the culture and get a sense of where people are. How, how bad does it get? I know what the Gallup numbers and Towns, Towers parent numbers say. Uh, is that your experience? Do you see disengagement at the same sort of levels that they do? Well, you know, Kelly, let me just flip that around <laughs> a little different way. I'm an optimist. So, um, you know, when you look at it overall, it's bad. But the, the good news is, if you get culture right, it is a huge competitive advantage for several reasons. Because when a culture is right so that everyone feels like they're part of the team versus feeling unsupported, left out, or alone, then they give their best efforts. They align their behavior with the leaders and the organization's goals. They care about the organization, so they think um, they look for ways to improve. They also look out for threats that are forming in the environment. They um, are more likely to speak up. When it, even when it may be in self, uh, against their self-interest, it may be risky to speak up. Uh, it may be a message that leaders need to hear, but they don't want to hear. <laughs> and sometimes it's just human nature. Sometimes you know we get bad news, and we usually don't uh, react in a positive way. But having those truth-tellers out there who will speak up and help us see what we need to know so we can make better decisions. All these things really play out in the performance of an organization. So um, that's the way I look at it. If you get culture right, then it's a huge competitive advantage. But overall, when you look at it, not a lot of people are getting culture right. Now, when, when you use the word competitive advantage, I know from experience that can mean different things to different people, and I'm fairly certain I know where you're going with it, but what kind of competitive advantage does a strong culture provide in the marketplace? How, how does it differentiate my company if I have a stronger culture? Well, it gets back to the things I, I just enumerated that um, employees are more engaged, so they give more effort, more discretionary effort. And just to give you some idea, the research that has quantified that has estimated that the employee who feels a part of the team or connected, as I call it, um, they, on average, are 20% more productive than the average employee. So, in other words, the employee who feels connected and engaged gets an extra day of productivity a week. So that's one benefit. But then you also have that whole host of other benefits that I, I ran through pretty quickly. They align their behavior with organizational goals rather than... Um, you know, there are some employees who are engaged, but they're not aligning their behavior with organizational goals, so they're just going a different direction, but they're very engaged in doing it, <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily help the organization. And they, they communicate better, they cooperate better. So the, the bottom line is that organizations who have engaged and connected employees, they have, and the research supports this, it shows that um, those organizations have superior outcomes, everything from higher profitability, higher revenues, uh, higher customer satisfaction, just across the board. All of the 
organizational outcomes that have been measured move in a favorable direction when the organization has more engaged employees, more employees who feel like they're part of the team. Michael Staller joins us as we talk about his brand new book, Connection Culture, the competitive advantage of shared identity, empathy, and understanding at work. As a guy who has spent three and a half decades in selling, I, I ask that question for a very specific reason. Many times, salespeople will espouse the you know features of a product and assume that the people listening understand what the real benefits are to them. And many times when I've had this conversation with business owners or entrepreneurs about the value of culture and employee engagement, Typically, some get it and some don't. You would think that they all do. But when you begin to connect the dots like you just did, listen, you you have more engaged employees means they're more emotionally involved, means they spend more time in detail. They pay attention. They're better with customers. Ultimately, it leads you to a competitive advantage because you're getting more productivity and ultimately more profit at the end of the day or at the end of the reporting period. Uh, suddenly it's like you've turned lights on for somebody, Michael, and I don't know why that's not obvious to a lot of business owners. I I think perhaps it's because it's not connected to something much more tangible in their minds, but clearly what you've been able to do is find that when you can create the right culture, uh, it it has a dramatic impact on people's performance in the workplace. In the book, you, you talk about the Tata Group out of India, uh, the owners of the Taj Mahal Palace and Tower Hotel. Why don't you share a little bit of the detail of that story and uh, give us a good idea of how all that goes together? Sure, Kelly. The um, Tata is one of the largest companies in India, and they've been around for over a century. You know, wildly successful. They bought, uh, uh, they own Range Rover and Jaguar um, that they bought from the British. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, they actually bought it from Ford. What am from I saying? From Ford, yes. <laughs> from Ford Motor Company's uh, luxury division. And, uh, you know, wildly successful company. Um, and Rattan Tata, who was the head of the group at that time, he's since retired. Um, they experienced, if you remember, the terrorist attacks that took place in India. Um, the Taj was um, had a, a number of terrorists who went in uh, with weapons. Um, some employees and, and guests were killed as a result of that. Um, Rattan Tata, he flew in the um, dependents of those employees who were affected, you know, from wherever they lived around the country, uh, housed them. He went to visit all of them, and there was quite a large number of people who were affected. He also... Uh, set up trusts so that um, they would continue to be paid the salaries of their loved ones for life for those who passed away in the incident. He, as I said, he went to the funerals. He uh, set up education trusts for their children where if they got into any school in the world, he would pay for it through the trust that was set up. Um, he also did the same thing for some of the vendors who did work around the hotel, just on the perimeter of the hotel and emergency workers and, and police who, uh, and firemen who were affected as a result. So he just was incredibly generous in taking care of people. And the way Tata set up a large percentage of their profits also go into their local communities. It's a very unusual situation. But here's an example of a leader who really does, and, and you find this with all the great leaders, they care about two things. Number one, they obviously care about results, and that's why they're successful. They care about their business. They want to deliver excellence. They have a passion for excellence and results. But mm-hmm. in addition, what you find is, there is a, they really have a strong sense of moral courage, and they uh, care about people. 
And that's what makes the difference between a manager and a leader, Kelly, which I, I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> no, you're 100% it, it, right. It's the, person, it's the person who, the leader who cares about results and also cares about people that, that people want to follow versus following them just out of authority. And that's mm-hmm. what makes the leader. People want to follow them because they sense that they care about them and they're going places. They're doing great things. Yeah, the interesting thing to me about the Tata Group is is that was a response of, of, of a company that already has a genuinely engaged culture to begin with. That was just an extension of who they are and the way they do things. That wasn't some PR response or some uh, you know crisis response or something like that. That that really was who they are, and it, it was exemplified in the in the behaviors of many of the employees during that crisis. That, w- that absolutely floors me that you could create a group of employees that have that level of loyalty to an organization, and it's a big credit to the way they do things. Yeah, they actually went out of their way to protect guests. Um, sometimes, you know, they, at risk uh, to their own lives, they got guests in safe places. Um, there are a few uh, Tata employees who lost their lives as a result of that because mm-hmm. they were uh, looking out for the guests. So it really is an extraordinary situation where, they have a strong sense of pride about, or in, and a sense of responsibility about uh, the guests and the, the, the people in the organization itself, and Rattan Tata is a leader. Yeah, absolutely. A phenomenal leader. It all connects to what you call the three core elements of a connection culture. You talk about vision, you talk about value, and you talk about voice. That company is a great example of all three of those. And we're we're pretty close to a break, so I want to save it for the other side. But I want to talk about those three things, and then I want to further get into the part of your book that talks about the, the action piece. How do, how do companies and managers actually take what we're talking about and do something with it? You talk about taking action and attitude and language and behavior, as you mentioned earlier in the interview. We're going to come back on the other side. We need to take a time out, pay some bills, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Michael Lee Stallard. Find him at michaelleestallard.com. And folks, don't forget to follow him on Twitter, at Michael Stallard. Uh, we're going to come back on the other side. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you. 
Voice America Business Network. This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Yeah, great to have you back in the Business Locker Room. Much more information about the show, by the way, at bizlockerroom.com. Links to our guest past shows, previews of upcoming shows. Listen to snippets of interviews that I've done here on the show, five to seven minutes a piece. Of course, you can listen to the entire episode right there on the website as well as there is a link to listen to the podcast or do what I do. Subscribe to iTunes. Go to iTunes. Find the show. All you have to do is search Business Locker Room Kelly Riggs. You'll find it. Subscribe to it. And if you get the opportunity to leave a rating and review, that would just make our day. Hey, whatever you think about the show is great. It's all instructive. Uh, But just getting your opinion up on iTunes always helps. We're joined Today's show by Michael Lee Stallard, as I mentioned, we're talking about his book, Connection Culture. And before we went to break, Michael, we were talking about vision, value, and voice. You call those the core elements of a connection culture. Now, I don't have any problems understanding vision, and I think uh, people like uh, Mr. Tata, as we mentioned before the break, he understands that as well. You're really giving people something to buy into and be a part of and to make a decision to embrace. But talk a little bit about value and voice. Where, where does that come into the equation? Well, value is what I think of, Kelly, is the heart of a connection culture. And when you think about what we talked about in the last segment, that the great leaders that people want to follow and are energized by, they care about people. And, and this really flows right out of that, uh, just who they are as people, their values. And, and in other words, they value people as human beings. They don't see them just as... Uh, means to an end uh, as human resources, but um, they view them as, as people as, as well as uh, a necessary and critical part of what they're doing um, to accomplish something great in their organization. And the way we define that, we call it value for short or human value, um, and it produces a sense of when you have this in any group, it produces shared empathy so that people really do care about one another. They have each other's backs um, the way we define it is that value exists in an organization when everyone understands the needs of people. In other words, um, the needs that we, uh, tra- in our training, uh, there are six universal human needs to thrive at work. It's uh, respect, recognition, belonging, autonomy, personal growth, and meaning. So that's the first part of the definition. And then uh, everyone understands the needs of people. They appreciate their positive, unique contributions and help them achieve their potential. So they also express verbal appreciation. Uh, they, they affirm people for the good work they're doing, um, whether it's their task strengths, you know, maybe they're a good salesperson or a good engineer, or their character strengths. They persevere. They're honest. They cooperate, things like that. And then mm-hmm. in addition, they also actively help others achieve their potential. So there are three parts to this value leg in the connection culture. Um, they understand human needs, they appreciate positive, unique contributions, and they help people achieve their potential. It's increasingly rare in the workplace today because people are so busy with their own work that they're less focused on their peers. And that creates a culture of indifference versus a connection culture where we're actively um, looking to help and affirm uh, and appreciate the people we're working with. 
You know, it's interesting because in the workplace, I, I think we're guilty of actually reinforcing that selfishness to some degree when we hire and promote people, Michael, to management positions. And the reason that we hire and promote them are typically because of their knowledge, performance, or skill, things that are intrinsic to them. And so when they get promoted, absent any direction or expectation or, or any training whatsoever, what, what would anyone expect to do? Just more of the same, and that is to be better at what they do. And yet it's a completely different set of skills to become an empathetic manager, isn't it? It really is. And that was nicely put, Kelly. Um, uh, just a, another way that I found help, helpful to look at it, which is um, it's really just what you said. Um, when you think about a leader's responsibilities, they fall into two categories. There's the tasks of organi- organizing uh, tasks around what has mm-hmm. to be accomplished. And then there's the relationships. And when you promote someone into a leadership position, they need to have the the ability to do both. It's not just manage the tasks, although that's a critical part. We have to have that. But in addition, they need to uh, be able to develop relationship excellence with the people they're responsible for leading. And that's what really separates a a good manager from a a good leader. Uh, They have that additional ability to achieve relationship excellence. Yeah, no question about it. Vision and then value and then voice. And, and I assume that that's giving an employee a voice or, or giving him some uh, input or something of that nature. Explain the details of that portion of the connection culture. Yeah, Kelly, it is um, – let me use it, uh, the definition we use. Um, voice exists in an organization when everyone seeks the ideas of others, they share their ideas and opinions honestly, and they safeguard relational connections. So there's, there's three components there. The first is that people have the humility to seek the ideas of others. They know that they don't have all the answers, that they need to tap into the knowledge of um, the experiences, the perspectives of people around them. And, and they're active about doing that. And then when someone asks them for their opinion, they don't tell them what they think that person wants to hear but they uh, truly communicate, they're honest in communicating what they truly believe, even if it may be uncomfortable or awkward to do that at times. But that just shows integrity and honesty. And then finally, when you have all these conversations going on in an organization, um, we just make mistakes and things are said, and sometimes it really results in disconnection. You know, someone's feelings are hurt. We say something that we didn't quite mean to come out that way and someone takes it the wrong way. And so in the connection culture, people are sensitive. They understand that you can create knowledge traps in the organization unless you're very intentional about repairing broken connections. And so people are quick to apologize if they feel like they they have um, offended someone. And they're also willing to give people the benefit of the doubt if they said something that was out of character, maybe misspoke, or something that might have hurt their feelings. They give, if the other person apologizes to them, they give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, one of the, they don't demonize what, them. Yeah. Right, right. One of the more common issues that you often run into in the workplace is someone who has great technical capabilities but is not the kind of uh, team player, empathic sort of individual that you're talking about, empathetic individual you're talking about. How, how, do you, how does a manager deal with that effectively? Ultimately, is, is that a turning point in someone's career if they can't get over that barrier of being able to deal with effectively? Or can you, can you put up with a certain level of that in exchange for great performance? How do you approach that organizationally? 
So, Kelly, are you thinking of um, this is uh, someone who's in a leadership role who doesn't have that ability to empathize as much? You know, I, I, you know, it's a very good distinction, but I think you could probably do it in either either way. Certainly from an employee standpoint, great performer, not very much of a team player, or a leader who's been great, who's been promoted, and, and works under this assumption that, you know, I, I was promoted because clearly I'm good at what I do, and they, and they continue to be really good at what they do, but they're not a team player. Or, or would you handle those differently? Yeah, I would. I think, you know, there are some roles in the organization that can be somewhat solo roles. I think of um, just, you know, I started my career out at Texas Instruments, and there were some people I know, in fact, good friends who were semiconductor design engineers, and they spent most of their days working over CAD CAM machines, you know, designing patterns for integrated circuits. And so, you know, there are some roles that are primarily solo in nature, so it's not as important to to have connection. Um, so it's critical to look at just the roles that people are in and um, the need for connection and cooperation and, and interaction with others in that particular role. Um, in a supervisor's role, just by the nature of it, they have to have the ability to um, empathize. Or they need to develop that over time. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the places I've been, we've worked with a lot of technical, in a lot of technical cultures, and um, Google has, um, you know, they had this project called Project Oxygen where they tried to quantify the factors in the managers who uh, were the most successful leaders in, in the technical parts of the firm. And what they found was um, the most important factors were not the technical expertise of their managers. It was their ability to, the employees um, felt connected to them. As, as managers, and uh, they, they cared about them as people. Now, this is in a technical culture, too. This sure. is not in marketing or human resources we're talking about. So it really is important for the leader to develop that ability to, um, to connect with the people he or she is responsible for leading and also encourage that type of culture so people within the culture connect with one another. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of issues in that, but it's... Um, it really depends on the type of role they're in, whether it's a manager's role or an individual performer and um, how much interaction is required in that particular role. The payoff, obviously, is when you can take appropriate action to actually implement change inside of an organization. Many times we can assess the issues and see where the challenges lie, but it's it's getting people to change the way they do things. You you. In the portion of the book, Connection Culture, where you talk about taking action, you address attitude, language, and behavior, and I want you to sort of explore those three things briefly for us and give give us something that we can take away from this discussion, perhaps have an impact on what we do going back into the office on Monday. Sure, there are, and that's one of the things I find so interesting in this, Kelly, is um, when you when you really study great leaders as we have in different domains, whether it's in sports or the military or in business or in education or healthcare, you you find that um, they have different approaches. Uh, You you can lump them into one of three categories, which is, as you mentioned, attitudes, language, and behavior. And, you know, there are also organizational actions and individual actions, and there's just great variety in these, but you do see some common patterns. So, for example, um, one attitude is uh, thinking the best in other people. Um, I think of uh, Frances Hesselbein, who is a, a great, Peter Drucker called her one of the greatest leaders he had ever met. He, she really led the um, return of the Girl Scouts of the USA, who was uh, an organization that was practically um, in a death spiral until Frances came in and turned it around. 
And um, one of the things that, that she says, which, which you see in the great leaders, is they assume the best in people. They, they're not paranoid. They really do think they're, very, they're optimistic. They um, assume the best in others. And so they don't start out relationships on a defensive posture. Uh, they start out in a, more of an offensive posture that this person is going to cooperate with me and help me and I'm going to help them. You know, they have a very positive attitude about relationships. Now, there's an attitude that really helps make a leader or an individual more successful. Um, now, let me give you an example of language. And as I, um, I'm not sure if I said this, but let me just say it. Um, there are hundreds of these. That's what's so fascinating about it. Um, but I'll just share a few off the top of my head. Um, uh, a language is, um, suppose, for example, that you need to tell an employee or a, a child, one of your children, um, that there are some things they're doing that are counterproductive. You know, there are ways you can say that that um, will, there's a high probability they will become very defensive and shut down. And there are other ways that are more constructive. And one very simple approach is to, uh, it's called three um, pluses and a wish. You know, what are three positive things that you can say to that person? Um, you know, Tom, you're, uh, you're a great en- engineer. You have an incredible skills. Um, you persevere through projects. Um, I really appreciate how honest you are. And, and, you know, Tom, you would be even better, I think, if you did this or you stopped doing this. Um, I think you would be more effective. So the idea being that you really affirm them for some um, genuine strengths that you see, but then you position, you describe how you're wanting them to change as a way that they could be even better or even more effective. So it's a little bit more positive way of using language. So there's a lower probability that people will become defensive. And uh, then the third area are just um, behaviors. Um, and some are processes. Let me give you an example of a process. One that we really like is called a knowledge flow process. And so, for example, we think leaders on a regular basis should be getting in front of the people they're responsible for leading and sharing um, just their vision for what, you know, their plans about what they want to do for the year, for example. What are their top five priorities? And, uh, you know, what, do they, what are some of the critical things that have to take place to accomplish those priorities? And then at the end of sharing what's on their mind, what we call putting their cards on the table, we uh, ask them to ask the people they're leading to respond to three questions. Number one, what's right? Number two, what's wrong? And number three, what's missing from what I shared in my vision about where we're going? And then just shut up and listen <laughs> to hear what right. people have to say and pay attention. And um, you'll find out that you'll learn things that you weren't aware of. And then um, follow up. And after you gather that information, follow up and tell people, in a, ideally in writing, here's what I heard and here's what I'm going to do about it. And we call that the knowledge flow process. Um, you know, you can also communicate that uh, no one has a monopoly ideas. And I really want to hear your what your perspectives, and that'll help us um, together come up with the best vision so we can move forward with success. So those are three examples of an attitude, uh, language, and a behavior, the knowledge flow process that um, we have seen help organizations and leaders become more effective. 
You know, what becomes apparent to me, Michael, as I listen to you, fascinated as I'm taking notes as fast as I can write, is, is that people, you know, they're very intentional and purposeful about their business when it comes to creating the product or delivering the product or, you know, all the mechanical processes of, of production or operations and delivery, but they're rarely focused and intentional on the cultural side of what they do. And I, I suspect it's because it's very hard for them to, to see something tangible. It's often characterized as, you know, the soft and fuzzy part of the business. And yet I think what's critical for people to take away out of this conversation is there is a direct correlation between culture and business performance. I mean, right down to profitability, productivity, customer satisfaction, and all those things. So all of the things that you describe are worthwhile in the sense that they do pay dividends for the company's performance. Yes, absolutely. And, and um, you know, there are processes that I think all companies should have in place, Kelly. For example, having an employee engagement survey, I, I think of just some very high-profile leaders I've worked with over the years, and some who were great leaders, but they didn't have an employee engagement process in place. And as I got into their organizations, Kelly, what I found was there were some managers who had leadership responsibility who you could describe as kiss-up, kick-down leaders. Not, mm. not leaders. They were managers. They were using right. authority. There was no one who wanted to follow them. You know, most of the people hated them, quite honestly. And, um, it, you know, the, the overall leader was great. But, and, but the problem was they were blind to these leaders underneath them who didn't share their values, who were kissing up and kicking down, and they just didn't see it. And it really sabotaged the trust that employees in those units who had poor managers, poor leaders, um, were, uh, were you know, the, the people had very low engagement in those units. And so it was a blind spot for these leaders. And I'm a real believer that, you know, there's one process. There are other processes, but that's one I think all organizations should have because it's just hard in this day and age to really keep up with um, how good your managers are if you're you know, spread out geographically or in some cases you have operations outside the U.S., you really need a process in place to make sure that your organization is delivering the values or it results in just tremendous cynicism among employees and it sabotages performance. Outstanding. Great stuff from Michael Lee Stallard. The book is Connection Culture, The Competitive Advantage of shared identity, empathy, and understanding at work. Michael, we're uh, out of time. Tell us where we find the book. Well, the the new book is coming out. It'll be uh, released on May 1st. It's uh, on Amazon already, so you can pre-order it. And we have a lot of material on our website, on my blog, michaeleestoller.com, a lot of published articles from around the world that we've written on uh, epluribuspartners.com. And, of course, there's our first book, which has um, 20 stories of great leaders throughout history who created connection cultures. And that is um, available on Amazon and through bookstores. Oh, fantastic materials and resources. Thank you, Michael. I'm grateful that you could spend the time with us here in the business locker room. Thanks for joining us. I will look forward to doing it again when the book comes out. Okay. Thank you, Kelly. It's just a real honor to be with you. Thank you so much for having me.
Super deal. Michael Lee Stollard. Great to have him on board at Michael Stollard is his Twitter handle. Find him online, michaelleestollard.com. That's going to do it for that segment. We're going to come back on the other side and we'll be joined by Miles Austin. We'll do the X's and O's segment and we'll talk about Google Analytics. Take some of the mystery out of that. That segment brought to you as always by 4D Sales at 4dsales.com. We're going to take a time out. Back on the other side, stay with us. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room on Voice America. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Yeah, John Spence. Man, what a great, great guest he was. I'm excited to bring him back next time, next year sometime. We're going to get him on board earlier in the year. You're listening to The Business Locker Room. Find us at bizlockerroom.com. I welcome in my good friend, Mr. Miles Austin. Of course, this segment made possible by 4D Sales and 4DSales.com. What a fantastic tool they have, a tablet-based tool that you can use uh, with your iPad or your Windows 8 device to make everything that your customer needs to see, hear, and know about available all in one very intuitive software platform. Looking at their brand new website, 4DSales.com, you can take your PDF documents, audio clips, websites, videos, graphics, presentation slides, spreadsheets, anything you can imagine that a salespeople would use in a sales call that any salesperson would use. You can put it all together in one very intuitive piece of presentation software. It's Everything is available only a touch away. That means it's fast, it's organized, and it's always up to date. That's the neat part if you're a business owner or if you're a sales manager. Make sure that your people have the latest iteration of everything that you use. And by using it in a visual format, one of the things that's cool about using 4D Sales is you're not carrying around wrinkled up collateral pieces like uh, brochures and catalog pieces and those kinds of things. It's very easy to email that directly to a client. Two clicks, you're ready to go. 
And it's just, it makes your team look very, very professional. And whether you've been around a long time in sales or you're just getting started, you're going to find it's very intuitive and it makes your sales call more productive. Make sure you check them out. Thanks to Brian Carpenter and the crew at 4D Sales for sponsoring this segment, the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. Miles, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Kelly. Thank you. Man, great to have you on board. We just finished up a fantastic series on video, and uh, you're basically revolutionizing my practice here. We're getting big into the video side, so you've got at least one person who is listening. But I suspect uh, there's a bunch more. I'll tell you what, if you go look at the numbers on YouTube alone, there's a few more than you and I, my friend. <laughs> no doubt about that. Hey, you're uh, you're bringing something interesting to the party this week, and I must confess, I, I know about it, I see it, I read about it. Everyone is data-driven, analytics-driven, but let's get into the meat and potatoes of Google Analytics. What is it, and what is it for? Great question, Kelly. I think there's a lot of confusion. I think what happens is, and this is like a lot of Google products, um, they are great technology and terrible marketers. And so um, what what Google Analytics is, it's a free, F-R-E-E, free analytics solution that reports on your visitors on your website, where they are, who they are, how old they are, what gender they are. Um, what, which pages, what interests them, what they left your site from, how long they've been on your site, etc. Pretty good information to have. I'm, I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. <laughs> well, you know, and we've talked uh, a few weeks ago, um, at least in my opinion, the, the substantially rapidly growing importance of data and analytics in any business, no matter what industry you're in. And this is just another example well, Google Analytics has been around for quite some time, and, and, you know, in this day and age, I can't even imagine a business that doesn't have a website. So everyone should have Google Analytics account set up, which is simply a matter of going to google.com slash analytics. You'll sign up very quickly. You'll use your Gmail address, most likely, and you'll go in, and then you'll simply add the website or websites that you want to start tracking information on. The, it's the, just, it's just that simple. I mean, that's, that's too easy. Well, it is, but again, it's, it, it's Google. So, sometimes, you know, get a hold of a Google help desk, right? I mean, there's so much there, and what, what I think happens in this example, there is literally months' worth of data if you don't know where you're going and what you're trying to do. The nice part is, once you create your account, load up your site, and you know, get the code and everything set, it's automatic. And I would say leave it for a week, come back, and in that first week, you your mind is going to be blown away. I mean, you know, I think in most businesses today, the, the people, at least on the marketing side and in the sales side, would say conversion um, is really one of the most, if not the most critical factor in business growth and business success overly, overly aggressive use of analytics is going to tell you so much information about what your customers and the visitors on your site like and don't like. You can't help but improve if you respond to what you're finding in your Google Analytics account. 
There's so much of it. I'm looking at Google Analytics page, and, and there's just so, as you mentioned, so much information there. Let's let's try to work through some pieces and parts. I mean, obviously, the whole objective here is to just get a better sense of how people are interacting with your website. And what, what we're doing, I, I think I hear you saying, Miles, is we're trying to get a sense of people's behavior so that we can more specifically tailor our offering to what people are looking for. Is that a fair analysis? Or, or what they're looking for and not finding. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, a lot of people say, well, okay, we're, you know, we're based in the U.S. Well, based on, again, on your business and your website, you're going to be pretty surprised. When I bring up my Google Analytics account, as I'm doing right now, I can tell you clearly the U.S. is my biggest market. Second biggest market for me is Canada. That's not overly surprising either. Third is United Kingdom, and fourth for me, believe it or not, is Brazil. And all I know is Brazil is a place I've never been, but it's a significant percentage. You know, it's, it's in the single digits, but it's, it's big. Somehow, some way, maybe through a webinar or something, I've got an audience on there. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, as a business person, maybe there's an opportunity. Something's resonating there. Maybe I need to do more research to find out who these people are so I maybe can go down and make some speaking engagements down in Brazil, right? Right. So use some more examples. Um, How long, when when someone goes, Kelly, to your website, would it be helpful to know how they got there and then which pages they visited, how long they visited those pages, and where they left from? Oh, clearly, yes. Right? So let me use another example. What if people are going to your site and they're going to kellyriggs.com? Let's say they're going to the biz locker room and they're searching for um, time management. And that's the actual term they're searching in their search engine for. Mm -hmm. And they go and it comes up and they're looking in your site for this. They're using your search functionality and nothing shows up as a business owner of that site, of business, of biz locker room, right? Wouldn't it be nice to know not only what people are seeing and what they're finding or what they're in, but wouldn't it be interesting and very powerful information to know that maybe, you know, 10% this week was looking for time management tips and they found nothing on your site? What would that tell me? What would that tell you as a business owner? Maybe I should add something about time management tips because clearly people are on my site looking for that search word or that term and they're finding nothing. That's an example of the insight that all of a sudden you're going to go, wow, never thought of that before. If, uh, and I'll use, you know, you go into it. I can tell you, is your audience, Kelly, is it male or female? Or what's the split between the two? It doesn't mean that one is more important than the other, but it helps you understand who the audience is and who the prospects are that are viewing your website and are interacting with what you're providing to them. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because I look at it, it it even gives you breakdowns uh, much like a radio audience would do. It gives you a breakdown of male, female. By the way, uh, at Biz Locker Room, we have about a 55-45 differential male to female and a wide variety of ages, 18 to 24, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, all being very well represented. So we're skewing a little bit young, a little bit more male and female. 
And it also has their category interests, which I find to be amazing. There is an enormous amount of material here when you begin to look at how you might structure your site to be more appealing to the people who are there. So, I mean, there's just an enormous amount of things here. I think for me, the biggest challenge is making sense of it all. I mean, there's just so much data. Analytics is crazy. It is, and that's where people like Miles come in, right? My Part of my job, <laughs> part of my clientele, hire me, and we create custom dashboards for to gather up on an easy-to-see visual way those key measurements that are most important for them. And it changes over time with new campaigns, new products. I'll use a great example that was shocking to me just in the last couple months as we're developing a new product that will be coming out by the first of the year. I was curious because all the press and everyone says, hey, look, um, you know, half of your business, half of your views are coming from a mobile device, right? Well, that's great, and you can just accept those things because some smart person said it, or you can go look at your analytics. And for me, what I found, which was surprising, out of my total, and I'm looking at last week's numbers of 2,922 sessions, last week, 1,400 of those were Windows, 658 were Mac, 534 were iOS, in other words, an Apple mobile device, 182 were Android, then there's a bunch of Windows phone, there were five, etc. So it really drops off. But it tells me that my audience that's engaging on my website, for me as a business, doesn't mean universal, is clearly and strongly 2,000 out of those 3,000 last week were on a Windows machine or a Macintosh, not on a mobile device. So two-thirds of my activity is still bigger screen based. So if I make an assumption that that everything I do has to be mobile only or really focused on mobile, I'm missing out two-thirds or I'm limiting my capability and my communication to two-thirds of my audience. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. Now, as, as we begin to look at some of these things, on, on just the dashboard themselves, there's, there's a lot of things there that uh, people may want some definition for. I know I was kind of that way. So I, I look at some of these things that are reported right there on that home dashboard. Explain to the audience bounce rate. What is, what is bounce rate and why is it important to me? Well, bounce rate is a great example. It's when you go there, when they come to your site, how frequently are they going to go to some other page outside of where you are, right? In other words, when you go in, it's, it, and I hate to use the math but because I'm, I'm a sales guy, right? But it's a percentage of single-page visits. So someone goes and visits one page, and they don't do anything. They don't click, which is that conversion thing we talked about, and then they go somewhere else. Okay. Right? So that means you just picture it. They kind of go in. They kind of sniff a little bit, and boom, they kind of bounced and went right back out. A high bounce rate is bad. Um, I've heard, and it, again, varies by site and by industry, um, but I've heard people with bounce rates of 30 40%. Um, I'd, I'd probably jump off the nearest bridge if mine was that way. For some, And it depends, again, on what your website is. Because my primary information on my site is a blog, it's information-based, I have an extremely low, based on my own work, um, bounce rate. I'm at 1.4%. So that says, wait a minute. Out of all the people that go, the 2,922 people last week, 1.4% got to a page, however they got there, and then guess what? They left. 1.4%. I can take that. 
But then to look further and say, okay, but how many pages did they look at? Did they look at just that one page? Maybe they clicked and downloaded. For me, you take this information, you then mirror that and copy this into or um, then match it with your analytics in your mailing and your marketing campaign. So in my case, like in Aweber, I say, okay, I got a low bounce rate. People are taking some kind of action then at a very high rate. Are those converting over into signups, ebooks, downloads of white papers, registration for webinars? What's happening? Right. So you, yeah. So what you're saying is 98 plus percent of the people that come to your site go somewhere else on the site before they leave. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Or interact with the page that they went to. So I'll use an example. Maybe they just go to a, they get a link, they see it in Twitter or something social or through an email that I send out, and it's for a webinar we have coming up. If they go, they click on it, they go to that page, so now they're there. If they leave and don't do anything and they go out of it immediately, that's a bounce, okay? Right. But if they're there, they read it, and they click and sign up, they're not bouncing. Now they're going on to second and third pages, and that's a piece, probably one of the most, underutilized parts of Google Analytics is this whole thing with setting up goals. It's kind of, it can get kind of confusing at first until you see one done and then it's like, oh my goodness. Because what you can do is set up goals and and when I have a, like I do a webinar, I say that I want 20%. That's my goal of people that see that page to sign up. And so when I look at that page in the analytics as time progresses and say, geez, we're at 34%. One out of three people are going there and signing up, right? That's a good Mm -hmm. sign based on my own internal goals I've set. If it's 7%, what's that tell me? I got something wrong on that page. Either it's a really boring topic, which I hope isn't the case. Usually, I did a bad job of writing the copy and exciting people enough in what they read and what they see or videos or whatever to say, I want to learn more. I got to register for this event. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Very good. Well, I've already learned a bunch and I'm um, looking at my analytics numbers and realizing that there is work to do. And I suspect there'll be many people who are in that boat. Hey, folks, it's free. Go to googleanalytics.com. Put your website piece on there. Start looking at your data and see how you can get better at what you're doing. And by the way, Miles Austin is the guy that can help you. Find him at fillthefunnel.com. You want to follow him on Twitter at Miles Austin. Miles, appreciate it very much. Great stuff today. Thanks, bud. Hey, that's going to do it for today's show. Special thanks to Miles for joining us as he does just about every week in the X's and O's segment. Thanks to 4D Sales for sponsoring that segment. Also, a very special thank you to Michael Lee Stollard for joining us. He is the author of Connection Culture. We'll want to talk more about that book in the future. Thanks to Michael Surgit. He makes us sound good on the other side of the glass. To Brandy Jackson, our executive producer. We'll see you next time in the Business Locker Room on Voice America. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. We'll be right back.